If you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter two for our message this morning from Luke 2, 41 through 52, entitled, How to Lose the Lord. It's Sunday, by the way. I know some of you have been trudging along in that week between Christmas and New Year's, and a few folks stumbled in this morning and said, this is the right day, right? (laughs) You've lost track by now. Where you are in the midst of this middle week, between one holiday and the next. You know, in Luke's gospel, you can start to lose track also. It moves pretty quickly from Christmas. The things start to get put away. I mean, the angels might still be on top of our trees here and yours at home, but the scene in Luke's gospel quickly shifts from angels and mangers and on to the life of the Messiah. The angels have returned to wherever it is that they came from. Visitors from the east are still fresh on our minds, but they're distant memories for this family from Nazareth by the end of only chapter two. There have been no more special visitors to note, prophets to consult, shepherds to host, or miracles to marvel at. Just a bunch of normal days. So many that I suppose his family might have started to lose track. More than a decade of silence about the life of Jesus sits on either side of this little story. Luke, in fact, is the only one to fill the gaps. And while this account stands alone in the Gospels, it's it's not at all random. Moments of significance were marked for Jewish males on several occasions. On the eighth day, of life at the circumcision, at dedication or presentation to God in the temple that came at six weeks after the mother had been cleansed, a bar mitzvah, the son of law stage at age 12, and of course public life that began somewhere around age 30. And Luke reminds us that Jesus throughout his life was in harmony with his faith tradition at each one of these steps. He doesn't depart from it. In fact, he fulfills it in full. And the story here marks the faithfulness of Jesus and his family at just the age of 12. A curious little tale, the only one that we have to fill in the blanks between birth, presentation, and his public life. What was it like to know this Jesus? Of course, history has tried to fill in some of the details and because of poor sources and even worse content, they were left out of the canon of scripture when it came to putting it together. Stories of Jesus as a child as they were. But the law of Moses required pilgrimages. Families like Jesus' families had to head to Jerusalem for Passover and Pentecost and tabernacles. But for people at a distance like Jesus' family, Jesus's family was, only the Passover. So Jesus is 12, and if he's already gone through the ceremony of bar mitzvah, then he is obeying the command to attend the Passover with his parents. And when that seven-day festival ends, the folks from Galilee head back home. That's where we meet them in chapter 2, verse 41. It was an annual pilgrimage of the family who likely traveled with a group of friends and neighbors from Nazareth. You know, it's more than 60 miles from Nazareth up to Jerusalem. 
60 miles between the two cities, a trip that would take several days by foot. Luke reminds us that this is a family that is investing deeply in their religious tradition. Jesus is being raised a devout Jew. And so there's the context that the text presents us with this setting. Passover was finished, the pilgrims headed for home and without the knowledge of his parents, Luke says Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now friends of 12 years age and below don't get any ideas. Just next to our lost and found book here in the office, we do keep a log of all parents that have, uh, well, left their children. No, we don't really. (laughs) Wouldn't that be fun? (laughs) Mary and Joseph packed up their things, headed home with their traveling companions. And when night came after their first day's journey home, Mary says to Joseph, good night, Joseph. And Joseph says to Mary, good night, Mary. And the two of them say, good night, Jesus. And there's crickets. Okay, that's not in the text, but you can imagine it went something like that. You were watching him, right? I thought you were watching him. Every parent's been there. The assumption that someone else was keeping tabs on your child. And Jesus is nowhere to be found. I mean, it's not surprising that in a caravan like this of relatives and friends and in their culture that Jesus would not be missed for a day. I know that's not how it works in your household, but they had every reason to think that Jesus was coming along with the group of travelers. This wasn't a case of neglect. It was common for a large family like this and friends to be acquainted with caring for all of the children. The community around them would have shared in the nurturing of the children But as soon as his parents are aware of his absence, the search is on. Three days, Jesus is separate from his parents. If you're like me, you wonder even more than this little tale gives us, what did Jesus eat in that time? Where did Jesus sleep during those hours? What was he up to? You can bet his parents are thinking the same thing. Did I mention that it was uphill back to Jerusalem. I don't think they were very impressed when they looked around and said, we're going back. And they searched for him. And it may be that Luke accounts for the first day of travel away and then the travel back and then on the third day they find him. But either way, you can imagine the feeling his parents had searching. And some of you, based on our log in the office, don't have to imagine, you felt it. And if you haven't lost someone or been lost by someone, you've at least lost something. And you retraced your steps like they did and you you asked questions of other people like they would have and and they returned to all the places they had been during the festival. Can you hear them? Uh, Where can he be? Are we not searching hard enough? Are we looking in the right places? They had to knock on doors and and look other adults in the eyes and say, oh, I'm just looking for something. And they said, oh, well, what? We'll help you. And they said, oh, uh, don't worry about it. We're just looking for something. They said, no, 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 we'll help you. What was it? Well, uh, it's the son of God. (laughs) See, it's one thing to lose your son. But how are we going to explain losing God's son? And the truth is, it's not as hard as one might think to lose sight of the Lord. I imagine their trouble started the same way 
yours does. They assumed that Jesus would simply remain along for the journey that they were on. And for centuries, people have been making the same mistake. Assuming that we can call Jesus Lord and simply add him to the life that we've already created for ourselves. That we can champion our own cause and and just ask Jesus to bless it as we go. That we can march on with the things that are important to us and just assume that Jesus will be back there when we make it. See, too often we begin to take the Lord for granted like that. Many have begun a relationship with Jesus only to begin doing that very thing, assuming that he is there to bless whatever it is that they're trying to accomplish. We call on him to do our bidding. We attach him to our desires. We consult him only in a moment of need, and we have not considered that he might have a purpose for us all on his own. You see, Jesus did not come so that you can make a claim on God. Jesus came so that God can make a claim on you. And the quickest way to lose the Lord is to assume that he follows where you lead. And the truth is that the only way to find him is to begin following him. If it could happen to Mary and Joseph, after angels and visits and temples and presentations, all they've experienced, there is every reason to believe that it could happen to you and it can happen to me. Maybe there've been moments in your life when you went on your own way, assuming that Jesus was with you, taking Jesus for granted, and all of a sudden you look around and neither you nor he is where you expected to be. And again and again, You have decided to strike out on your own and do it in your own way. You know the struggle Mary and Joseph must have had. I wonder this morning, as you look around your life, is Jesus leading your priorities? Or have you simply hoped that he's back there somewhere ready to bless the dreams you've made on your own? I would even say that if you sense that he's no longer there, if he's felt a little bit distant in this past year and you're hoping to be nearer to him in the future, it's you that better change course. It's you that better take this time to search for the Lord, to find him in prayer and in the scriptures and to go to the places where he's promised to be. So they rushed back to Jerusalem, Mary and Joseph, uphill in the snow both ways, And notice something interesting. They didn't find him in the first place they checked. Three long days, this couple from Nazareth searched Jerusalem, walking the back alleys, asking merchants, calling out his name as they searched, I imagine. The scriptures tell us his name is Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. They gave him the title Christ, for he is the anointed one, the Messiah. I think it was at age 12 that Mary gave him a middle name. Jesus Messiah, if you don't get out here. And where do you think they spent all their time looking? I imagine they went to the places Jesus had the most fun. Maybe he's in the back alleys kicking the ball around with the kids. 
They probably checked the places of work. Jesus at age 12 would have had his eye on a future. Joseph would have been training him to be a carpenter, showing his, him the way around the workshop and they might've asked around there. They might've gone searching in, in all the places that you and I search for meaning and for life. They searched in places of pleasure. They searched in places of work. The text tells us they checked with family and with relatives first. And can I just tell you that none of those provide for you the life that God promises? And you can look for Jesus in any number of places, but until you turn to the things of God, you won't find him there. You see, if the first way to lose the Lord is to assume that he follows your lead, the second is to forget where to look. Now I imagine that they looked in all the same places we often look, all the wrong places. And finally, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, Luke tells us. Now you know from other passages, rabbis don't stand at the front of the class when they teach. They sit and their students gather around. And you notice that 12-year-old Jesus, it says, is sitting among the teachers, listening and asking questions, not in the place of the students, but among the teachers and amazing everyone with his grasp of the faith. You could translate that little verse literally. He was shocking them with his understanding and answers. And his parents were stunned too, though I'd argue probably not in the same way that the teachers were. Stunned to find him, and Mary blurts out an accusation, maybe even tinged with that mixture of guilt and relief that most parents will recognize when they find a child that they lost. She says, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. In other words, she says, why did you do this to us? You scared us half to death. Your father and I have been looking for you like crazy. And that's when Jesus speaks for the first time. Not the first time in his entire life, but for the first time for our ears. Why were you looking for me? It feels like a gentle rebuke of his mother in the text. I think that's fair. Why were you searching for me? He expected more from both of them. Mary and Joseph had looked everywhere, had spent three days finding him and looked everywhere except the temple in that time. They searched for three days before finally ending up there. The place where the word of God was taught, the place where the son of God would, according to Jesus, obviously be. Why did it take them three days to figure out that Jesus had to be where his father was? They didn't find him in any of the expected places, not with his extended family, not with the pilgrim spots they had hung out in before. They find him after three days in the temple. Is it possible that you and I spend most of our efforts looking for Jesus in the wrong places? Why does it take us so long to find the Lord? Why does it feel difficult sometimes to, to know his nearness to us? And we sit on the eve of a new year. 
Many around the world will hope that the next year will be nearer to the Lord than the last one was. At least I I hope so. Others have been singing like we have, joy to the world and peace on earth this Christmas season. And as we turn the calendar, oftentimes we look around and we realize there are plenty of places in my life, in your life, in our world where there is no peace and there's very little joy. And we wonder where has the Lord gone in a world like this? Why has Jesus not showed up yet? Has he left us? And I would argue that in those cases, we'd be wise to understand that the Lord hasn't left, that Jesus is still near and that Jesus is right where he always promised to be. And like Mary and Joseph, we can spend not just three days, but our entire lives trying to find Jesus in all the wrong places. And if we fail to understand who Jesus is and what his mission was, we can end up like Mary and Joseph checking everywhere, but where he said he was going. We can try to find Jesus and earning enough credit that we'll end up in heaven someday. We can try to find Jesus in our own sinful hearts. We can try to find Jesus in other religions or other good teachings. We can attempt to find Jesus in popular spiritual fads, or we can try to find Jesus on a a lake while fishing, or we can try to find Jesus without the church. The list can go on and on. But if Jesus has not promised to be there, why are we looking for him where he has not promised to be? The easiest way to lose the Lord is to assume he follows your lead, to forget where to look. And third is to leave his father's work. You see, at the center of the story in verse 49, Jesus makes the declaration in the form of a question. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Didn't you know I had to be about my father's business? For me, it was a hardware store. The time I remember getting lost, I'm sure you have one too. A story where you look up and you realize you're all by yourself and you shouldn't be. I couldn't have been older than six and if my memory serves me, it was a really large Sutherland's hardware store. Now, I don't like to stereotype, but it's no surprise that I was lost in a story where my mother was not there. I turned around and it was probably my fault, but that aisle of tools looked just like the other aisle of tools. And I'm guessing that when me and my dad got separated, I turned the exact opposite direction to check, with, check for him and to catch up. I don't remember if he left the aisle first or me, but I lost sight of him, got turned around and found myself alone on an aisle that looked the same to a five-year-old or six-year-old as every other aisle in Sutherland's. And it wasn't long before a kind older gentleman recognized the face. You know, the face of a child who knows this is not good. 
It probably was not as dire circumstances as I assumed at the time. But for all I knew, I was never going to see my father again. And this man read it all over my face. And the kind gentlemen, there are still those around, by the way, took me by the hand and began to walk me to the front of the store. He was going to return me to the, to the front where I could be reunited with the parents that I had seemingly lost. I was able to communicate at least that much. He led me up to the, to the front desk or, or the, the cash register where the plan was for the cashier to calmly notify my father that he needed to come and collect me. And so standing there in a checkout line with nothing to buy, no way to pay, could barely see over the counter and the employee grabbed the phone off the pole, you know, it had that cord on it. He pressed the loud speaker button and said, attention shoppers, something like that. And he asked me my dad's name. I don't want to exaggerate the point, but I was young and at that age, I still had trouble with a few letters. R was the biggest culprit. I don't think I sounded the T sound very well either. And that's all well and good unless your father's name happens to be Bart. <laughs> and so there I was lost and doing my best to communicate to someone who my dad was, how to call for him. And all they can say is, is there anyone in the building named Bot? Is there anyone in the building named Boat? Is there anyone in the building? That they could not understand. I wasn't even getting close enough for them to recognize the name of my father. So it was with Jesus. His words weren't the problem. It's been spoken clearly enough, but he's announcing to all who will listen the identity of his true father, hoping someone, anyone will understand. Had things become so ordinary for such a long time that Jesus' own family forgot who he was? The choirs of angels, adoring shepherd, the magi, they're not there anymore. And maybe the mystery surrounding their son's birth had begun to fade like a dream. You see, until this point, every sign of Jesus' special nature and mission have come to us through others. Uh, the angels, Mary, Elizabeth, Zechariah, shepherds, Simeon, Anna. Only now does Jesus claim it for himself. It's hard to fault his parents. The text sees them mostly in a positive light. They're here taking Jesus around, doing what they should have been doing as good religious people. At this age, Joseph would have been walking Jesus around and teaching him who he's going to be. He took him to the temple and said, you're gonna be a faithful Jew. He took him to the carpenter and said, this is how you're going to, to do this. You're going to go to the temple. You're gonna do the Passover. But Jesus stays behind. And this isn't in the text, but if Jesus stays behind and if he can contend with the greatest teachers of his day, then it would be reasonable to assume that as Joseph is taking him around Jerusalem and teaching him who he will be, that his true father, his heavenly father, was too. Now Luke doesn't say it, but if Jesus was able to teach 
and to stay. There's every reason to think that his real father is speaking to him as he was led around Jerusalem. Perhaps they went to the temple and he heard the voice of the father saying, you are the new temple and you're going to make this place obsolete. Maybe they walked the streets of Jerusalem and he heard a voice saying that someday he would walk those streets carrying a cross. And most of all, when he sat down at the Passover and and looked at the lamb, he heard his heavenly father say, you're going to be the lamb. You see, the boy Jesus says that his relationship with with the God of heaven is like the relationship between a, a father and a son. And again and again in his ministry, he kept repeating that same idea. He is the son and God is his father. That's the point that Mary and Joseph failed to grasp. Where do you find the son of God? You find him doing the things of God about his father's business. It is necessary, Jesus says, that I must be where my father is. It is necessary. It's a little Greek word that Jesus used. It's not the only time that Jesus reminds a traveling couple of what is necessary. Jesus explained it to two other confused travelers. They were on the road to Emmaus at the end of Luke's gospel. Their Messiah had been crucified on the cross and when it seemed like all was lost, when all creation went searching and it took them three days to figure things out, Jesus could be found right where he had always promised to be, doing his father's work. You see, he was here to seek and to save the lost to bring justice to the nations, to to be the final Passover lamb. He was a new exodus. He would lead his people out of slavery and into freedom. And after three days had passed, when all the teachers of the law were confused and confounded, the whole world discovered that Jesus was right where he had always promised to be, where he was created to be, when he rose from the grave and proclaimed for one and for all that the victory had been won, that the work is finished. It is necessary, Jesus says. The work of the Father is necessary for the Lord. And if you want to be near Him this year, it is necessary for you too. Let's pray together. Father, we come from all over this morning on the last day of a year. And as we look forward to the next, we pray that we would be nearer to you than ever by following where you lead, by making our lives about the Father's work as we look for him in all the places that he's promised to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.